right, one more lesson on time. On time, we've looked at time, uh, just some basic realities of time that both the believer and the non-believer have to deal with. That is what Moses wrote 3,000 years ago, Psalm 90. The span of a person's life is how many years? 70, and if a matter of strength, 80. Some don't get to 70, some live over 80, and that's a matter of strength. But average life expectancy has not changed at all during 3,000 years. Uh, so Moses went on to say, um, teach us to what with our days? Count our days or number our days that we might what? Gain a heart of wisdom. Yes, yeah, so and we might think about how to live life. So we did some reality checks. To, uh, sometimes we have to be shaken up a little bit about life. Uh, then we moved on last uh, week to talk about turning time from being an enemy into what? A friend. Time does not have to be a curse in your life. You don't have to dread death. No one wants to die. I buckle up all the time. I'm not looking forward to dying but I do look forward to what God has planned for me and for all those who have loved His appearing in eternity. And there's a way where we can turn around how we see time, which is clearly ticking down as far as this temporary life, and then use it for eternal purposes. Remember both uh, Paul and Peter referred to this temporary body that we live in? In fact, the Apostle Peter called this body a what? It starts with a T, a tent. It's just a temporary dwelling place. Even though God wanted us to live with Him forever, Adam and Eve messed that all up in 15 minutes in the Garden of Eden, and all of a sudden we became very temporal beings. But that was not the end of our story. God, through His merciful plan of salvation, sent His Son to reverse what happened and to win victory over death and to provide, as we sang so powerfully in an earlier song, provide for this resurrection where instead we can listen for our voice being called because the Lord has returned. And what a great song to capture that sense of anticipation. So we can look forward to the return of Christ and we can look forward to what God has planned. That's turning time into a friend. We can embrace our future rather than dread it. We can see death is not passing away, which is not really a biblical uh, phrase, but instead we can see death as a what? It's like when you go to the airport, you depart. It's a departure because you're going on to another world that God has planned for you, that He's waiting to give you right now. He's just waiting for just the right time to send His Son. But we still have time left on this earth. And whether our days truly are numbered and we've we're in the zone, uh, 70 to 80, or we're close to the zone, I'm 10 years away, or you're above the zone uh, by a matter of strength, you can turn time on your side. You can make time be on your side. When I first thought of these words, making sure time is on your side, I realized those are not my words. Uh, that's a Rolling Stones song. And I looked that up. I don't want to try to sing it like Mick Jagger did, but I think he said something like, time is on my side. I looked that up. I was curious. I didn't think it was a spiritual message he was delivering. I think he had broken up with someone, or she'd broken up with him, and he knew she would come back. So he said, time is on my side. Uh, but I thought that's at least a great capturing of the words if you recognize that time can be your friend 
It's on your side. No matter what your age, you can be exactly where God wants you to be rather than trying to live it all up for the here and now because that's all there is. So we're going to look at three principles where we can make sure time is on our side. Uh, one author said, time is either your friend or your enemy. It depends on what you do with it. Time, in a way, is neutral. It's just always ticking away. Uh, but time will propel you to the right and good things you ought to be doing if you see it that way. I don't know how many watched the Colorado State-Colorado football game last night. Deion Sanders coaching. Oh, boy. Uh, time. Once that game went into overtime twice, time was used on the side of Colorado. They rushed and did things they were not yet doing to catch up and they ended up winning the game. But if you're a football team that just lags when time's running out, you don't really seize the moment, you will lose a very close game. It can change very quickly. Time can be a friend or an enemy. Well, how do you make it a friend uh, even further to make sure it's on your side? First of all, use time to keep you out of sin. Sin needs you to not be thinking about time. Satan, when he wants you involved in sin whether it be activities or attitude or simply not doing things you ought to be doing. He wants you not thinking about time. He, think, he wants you thinking that you have all the time in the world to maybe change what your conscience is telling you not to do or, or you ought to do more with your life. He wants you thinking that you just have all the time in the world to change. I remember hearing growing up uh, preachers talking about... Uh, People envisioning when they retired, they would have more time to go to church. Or when they retired, uh, they would then give more time to the Lord, but right now they just don't have time to do it. And some of those believers never lived even long enough to hit their retirement years. <laughs> and their life ended far earlier than they thought. Or this great revival that that person thought would happen the minute they turned 65. And they got their retirement watch. Never happened. They just continued being the same old person they always were. Because they really didn't sense the value of time. And they supposed they would do something great when they got older, where really they didn't do anything great at all. I want to look how the Apostle Paul in Romans 13 talks about how we ought to see time in view of getting rid of things that ought not to be in our lives. Romans chapter 13, verses 11 through 14. Notice what he says about change your life, but he connects it to time. He connects it to time. By the way, you could bookmark or put a note in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 6. Peter does the same thing. Talks about time. We spend enough time in past living. But notice how Paul does it. Romans 13, verse 11. Paul writes to the Roman Christians after many exhortations, and he says this, verse 11. And do this, understanding the present time. Just pause here. He tells them there's things you need to do, but he says it in the context of understand the time. Recognize what's going on. Understand the time. He says the hour, verse 11, has already come for you to do what? Wake up from your slumber. He doesn't say the hour is going to be at 65 when you have more time because you're retired. 
He says the hour's already come. The time is now always to do the right thing. To wake up from your slumber. So if you're spiritually lazy, move on. He says, because our salvation, notice the reason. Because our salvation is what? Nearer now than when we first believed. Verse 12, the night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside, let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Verse 13, let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Verse 14, rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the sinful nature. All right, let's look at some of these powerful statements that Paul made about how to live in relation to time. So he says in verse 11, the hour's already come for you to wake up out of your slumber. The time to do the right thing is always now. Don't wait till things get better at work. Uh, don't wait till you have a problem-free marriage. Don't wait till your kids are always doing the right thing all the time to do the right thing yourself. Don't think that there will be a time in your life where you will have nothing to do but, but, but serve the Lord. The time to do the right thing in your life is always now. And here, he's describing the state of slumber if you really are kind of dealing fast and loose with your priorities. If you're kind of involved in things or you have thoughts that are dominating your mind or you're allowing certain things we're going to talk about in just a minute to run your life, Paul says, wake up. You've got to wake up. Coaches use that. You guys got to wake up. You realize we're in the fourth quarter. You got to wake up. We're running out of time. And Paul says, the night is nearly over, verse 12. The day is almost here. I mean, things are going forward. He says, and let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. And then he said earlier, because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. That is God's ultimate plan for your life and for my life is closer now than it's ever been. As time moves on, he's changing it from, hey, we've got to live it up because it's all going to come to end. He's simply saying, hey, we're closer now to heaven than we've ever been. So as you're moving on with the decades of your life, you're closer now to what God has planned than you've ever been. I think I shared this one time in a lesson. Uh, when my four daughters were little, we'd go on a lot of road trips. They didn't really understand the time of a road trip. Um, driving down to Disneyland would seem like a five-day trip to them because uh, they didn't have a good reference point of time. So they liked watching SpongeBob. So I'd say, well, if we had two more hours, that's four more SpongeBob episodes that are half an hour each. I tried to find time references for them. But sometimes when they kept saying, what, what time, Dad, are we going to be there? Are we almost there? Are we almost there? I would say, girls, we are closer now to Disneyland than we've ever been before. <laughs> and that sounded real positive to them, but they were still going to be a little more time spent driving. But we were closer. I was telling the truth. We are closer now than we've ever been before. And I think that's what the Apostle Paul is doing through the Spirit of God here. He's motivating Christians to get rid of sin by saying, hey, you're closer now to your salvation 
than you've ever been. And the response is, hey, put off the deeds of darkness. Wake up. Put on the armor of light. Behave decently. He says, make sure you're not involved in carousing and drunkenness, living some wild party lifestyle where being inebriated all the time, that's the last thing you want to be in if you believe the words that Nathaniel read, let us rise up. Do I hear my voice? Is he calling me? I mean, we're always ready to go. But if you're drunk, <laughs> how does that fit? Or he says, involved in sexual immorality. Do you want to be involved in this immoral act of Christ's returns? Did you want to find you in that hotel room with that person? Is that where you want to be when Christ returns? That's a motivator. Do I want to be doing this if Christ returns right now? Do I want to be caught in this behavior? That's a motivator using time to keep you out of sin. He says a debauchery, again, that's just a wild lifestyle where you're doing what you want to do, living, getting high all the time. Is that, is that the way to live if your salvation is closer now than you've ever been? But he also adds this, he knows verse 13, at the very end, dissension. Dissension is trouble between people. Sometimes our problems are not drunkenness and drug abuse or sexual immorality. It might be estrangement between someone that you're not talking to. And Jesus says, if you know there's some problem between you and another person and you're going to church, leave your gift at the altar and go make it right with that other person. That's a rough paraphrase of what Jesus said. But there's always a call to make separated relationships right. Now, Paul also says, much as depends upon you, live at peace with all people. If some people don't want to respond, they don't answer the door, they don't pick up the phone, they won't return the text, you still, though, try your best to do what you can do. You don't want an open case of dissension where you and somebody else are not talking and there's something you can do about it on the day that Christ returns. You don't want to have a trail of enemies or people that you just cut off or people that you haven't tried to make amends with. Paul says, put off dissension. But he also adds this, verse 13, jealousy. So it's not just drunkenness and immorality of a sexual nature. He says, I want jealousy got rid of too. So if you're living this life, say, man, I wish I had their house. I wonder how they can afford that. Oh, look at that new car. Look at it. Ooh. Wow, they sure have seen me eat in a nice restaurant. I wish I could do that. If your mind is consumed with comparing yourself to someone else all the time and being jealous of people your age or age group that have things you don't have and, and you wonder how they got it all the time and, and you think maybe they got it in the wrong way or how, oh, I bet, their, I bet their family gave them that money. That's jealousy. That's jealousy walking all around your life. And you might be going to church all the time, but is that kind of spirits driving you? Paul says, get rid of that. That's a deed of darkness. If we're going to rise up as we sing and listen to our voice, we don't want to be listening to other voices, especially our own, being jealous all the time. So use time as a motivator. Use time to say, I don't want to be consumed with jealousy. I don't want to be living sexually immoral. I don't want to be uh, angry all the time at other people. I don't want a complaining spirit. I'm not going to be inebriated with things that are taking my mind away from being ready to go. Use that as a motivator and you will be blessed. Just ask yourself, do I want to be involved in this sin if Christ returns? Is this what I want to be doing when the trumpet of the Lord shall sound and time will be no more? 
Is this where I want to be in my life? That's a motivator. Use time to keep you out of sin. Here's the second way to use time and make sure it's on your side. Use time to keep you from presumptive living. Use time to keep you from presumptive living. Mary Gail, you might want to shorten this in your own notes that you put on. Mary Gail shortened some of my words on Facebook because I get a little wordy and I can't figure out how to make it shorter. But let, here's what I'm saying. Uh, presumptive means you always assume you'll have time. Uh, I have a lot of presumptive students. The deadline's passed on their Canvas program at school that says, here's when you're supposed to have got the test done. Uh, Mr. Mulligan, he'll give us extra time. And they keep presuming they'll have more and more time until all of a sudden they see a zero show up on their grade. And they presumed they would have a lot more time, but they didn't have that time. And they did not do what they needed to do. So presumptive living is assuming there will always be a time to get around to it. You ever heard someone say, oh, I'll get around to it? You ever had someone put you off? I say, you need something done, and it's got to be done by Friday at 5. Oh, I'll get around to it. Don't worry about me but they never get around to it. That's presumptive living. Look at another example of presumptive living that we can actually make pivot to turn to be something good. The book of James chapter 4. James chapter 4. James, the brother of the Lord, challenges believers to not presume they're going to have a bunch of more or many more minutes or decades to do what they need to do or or challenge them not to presume that your plans will always work out the way you want it. Verse 13, James chapter 4. James writes, Now listen. He's getting their attention. Now listen, he says. You who say, Today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business, and make money. Why do you not even know what will happen tomorrow? What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it's the Lord's will, we will live and do this or do that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. So then if you know the good you ought to do and you don't do it, you sin. All right, let's break this down a little bit and then make some applications. First of all, he says, to those people that say, today or tomorrow, we will go to this city, spend a year there, carry on business, and make money. He's talking to people, not that are really good planners. He's not talking to people that are really responsible and they want to take care of things. He's talking to people that assume they'll have all the time in the world to do what they want to do, and all they got to do is plan it, and it'll happen. The person says, hey, tomorrow we're going to do this, and the next week, hey, we're going to Yoruba. We're going to take a cruise to Yoruba. And then uh, three weeks later, oh, we're going to go over here, and we're going to spend maybe a month in the British Isles, and, and things like that, where they're always talking about things they're going to do and how long it's going to be that they're going to be there. But there's no real recognizing that life and time don't always work out that way. Every once in a while when you buy tickets to travel, there's a little box down at the very end that wants you to buy insurance. <laughs> they want you to pay extra money just in case those plans don't work out and you want a refund. Because what happens with life? 
Life has a brutal way at times of changing. Things that you thought you would do 20 years from now never materialize at all. Things you thought you'd do next week didn't happen because you got sick. Or someone you were supposed to travel with canceled. Or all of a sudden a loved one is sick and you need to be there with them. And all the things you planned you simply cannot do because things changed in your life. Like I said in a previous lesson, there's parking lots full of RVs that are virtually brand new. Because someone thought when they retired they'd have all this time and energy and good health to travel. And either they or their mate were simply not physically in a place to do that when they thought they would. And now they don't even have a place to park the RV and they're paying to park it in a lot that's virtually brand new and they're just not able to do all the things they thought they would do when they retire. It's not that they were an evil person or planning to do evil things, just time, time became something they didn't have anymore to do what they wanted. And that's what James is chastising here. He says, your life is a mist that appears for a little while. That's that 70 to 80 years principle. Your life is a mist, it appears for a little while, then vanishes. You ought to say instead, it's the Lord's will, we will do this and that. The Lord wills, I'll take this trip next year. Lord willing, Lord willing, when I retire, I'll maybe move to Idaho or something like that. Uh, sometimes a lot of Christians verbally preface it. And they'll literally say, if the Lord, well, they take this verse seriously. If the Lord wills, I'll do it. But you may not have to always verbally say it as much as you have to mentally think it. Hey, I would like to do this next year, but things may change. But I'm still going to plan on it, but things may change, and I'll be prepared to go a different direction if I need to take care of my mom. And right now, as my mother ages, both my younger brother and my older sister are always thinking about when will she no longer be able to live by herself. And it's going to change the life of one of us or all three. So we're kind of living life loosely. We're not presuming we're always going to be doing all the things we want. We're always thinking... Mom may be living right next to one of us or with one of us at any moment. That's kind of living life loosely, and that's what James is calling on. We say, well, John, that's kind of ominous to always be fearful that nothing will ever work out because you can't really embrace the future of this life. Well, that, it could be that way. You can't count on things happening. But what did Jesus tell us in the Sermon on the Mount anyway? Do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow, Matthew 6, has enough worries of its own. We are taught biblically to live one day at a time. Not ten years ahead. We're not told to constantly be projecting things we're going to be doing in our 70s or 80s, or 40s or 50s. We're instead taught biblically to live one day at a time. To seize the moment of every day because every day is precious. Every day is a gift. One writer uh, that I've read, he says, your health is your wealth. Your health is your wealth. And if you have your health and you're living one day at a time, you're richly blessed because a lot of people don't have that. They have millions, but they can't get out of bed. Live one day at a time. 
Seize the moment when you wake up to thank God for the day, to thank God for your health, to thank God that you were able to get up. Thank Him for your food and your clothing, your children, a mate or a family member that you know loves you. Thank God for that in that moment of that day and, and pray in that prayer, Lord, help me to use this day the best I can. And When you go on a walk, greet your neighbor, say hello, look for opportunities to help other people. Look for the good in people. Don't spend all your time watching the news and making it a terrible day for yourself, but engage in good things. Appreciate the people you work with. Listen to their conversations. You might be the only one that listens to them. Be there for other people who need wise counsel or good thought. That's living for the moment. Travel lightly, because you really don't know what your life's going to look like. Uh, in the summer, I took a trip back to Florida and see my daughters, to see my sister who lives in the, the Miami area. And I took a boat tour. I love boats. Anytime I get on the, try to get on the water, I, I do, uh, or have the chance to, I try to do that. And I took a Miami Harbor tour. It was one hour where you could take a boat with a bunch of other passengers around Miami, which is a beautiful waterway. The home's built on the water. Oh, they're saying, oh, Jennifer Lopez lives over there. Oh, oh, oh this basketball superstar, he lives over there. And they were constantly pointing out the famous people. But I look over their homes, and I never saw anyone in those homes. We were shown 10 to 15 homes of the stars, and I didn't see anyone in those homes. In fact, some looked like no one had been there for a while. One home, oh, Tom Cruise, he's up there. I didn't see him. And granted, they're all maybe doing other things, but they bought this beautiful piece of property to live in peace and serenity, but I couldn't see any activity at all. I don't know if they were able to live in that home at all, because life changed for them. Again, don't presume you'll be able to do all the things you want to do or live places you want to live or go places you want to go. Just enjoy this day as a gift from God. Appreciate it. Look for opportunities to serve, to help, to be kind, to lift up someone else's day, and you will be living a rich life. You will be making sure time is on your side when you're making the most of the day, not trying to plan for retirement or 10 days from now or the summer. Make plans, but don't make your life happy based on whether or not all those plans work out. Make yourself happy today by how you live, knowing that is that his voice I am hearing could happen at any moment, and you want to be ready to go. Travel lightly. Don't expect people, don't expect places to always be there in your life. People leave sometimes very early. Sometimes people leave when you don't want them to leave. Places you thought you'd always be all your life, this, it just doesn't work out because you got sick. Recognize, I need to live for today and appreciate this day. Tomorrow will take care of itself. Third way, to make sure time is on your side. Use time to prepare for departure. We already explored last week the idea that instead of looking at death as passing away, look at it as departure. You are driving in the departure lane. You are going to the departures terminal at SFO all the time. Because his voice could call you home at any moment, so we're always ready to depart. That is, go to the place God has prepared for us. And I want to see the mindset, though. How do you do that when you're near death? 
How do you do that when you're in the zone? That is, you know you're in that range of 70 to 80 years, or you're getting close to the zone, or you might never even get to the zone because something happens to you. How do you, especially in older years, how do you look forward to being with the Lord, but yet you wrestle with fears at the same time? Well, you're wrestling with the difficulties of the body of that age. Or the worries about, will I get done all the things I've wanted to do? Will I do what I need to do? I want to see how the Apostle Paul approached his impending departure. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4. This is one of two letters that Paul wrote to a younger preacher by the name of Timothy. It's one of four letters he wrote from prison. He was in a Roman prison awaiting trial before Caesar. He sensed that that trial was not going to go well for him. In Philippians, another one of those four letters, he wrote, he hopes to come back and be of benefit to the churches, but he also realized he might die and go on to be with Christ, which is exactly what happened, history tells us. But look what he says as he knows death is on the horizon. And death is closer now than it's ever been for him. Look what he says about how he sees his life. I want to start with verse 1. And then I want to skip down to verse 6. Look what he tells Timothy. Verse 1, chapter 4. He says, In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of His appearing in His kingdom, I give you this charge, preach the word. Then he goes on to talk about the things Timothy needs to be preaching. But notice what he's aware of, verse 1. He knows he's in the presence of God, who's going to judge the living and the dead, so he knows he has an appointment with Judgment Day that he can't cancel. But he also knows that Christ will be appearing at any moment. And he wants to be ready to go. Is that voice, his voice, I am hearing? He has that mindset. But then he says, verse 6, For I am already being poured out like a drink offering. Michael preached on that not too long ago. And the time for my what? Departure. There it is. Not my passing away or dropping out of existence. The time for my departure is near. But then he says, verse 7, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Verse 8, Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for His appearing. In preparing for this lesson this week, I saw, I just want to camp out here a little bit to see what, what's he embracing. First of all, he's not dead yet. He hasn't departed yet, but he speaks in the past tense. He says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. What's the Apostle Paul doing here? He's using the past tense, though he's not departed. As someone who is in the zone by virtue of how many years you've lived on this earth, or someone who just has got the diagnosis of a terminal condition, and you recognize that your days are numbered, 
more than we're all dealing with numbered days. Your days are even more numbered because you've been given six months, or four months, or two months. There's a meaningful way in which you can say, even though you haven't taken your last breath, that as a Christian, you have fought the good fight, you have finished the race, you have kept the faith. You don't have to say, well, I hope I make it, or I hope it all turns out for me. You can say if you put your faith and trust in the Lord, and you echo the words, trust and obey, for there is no other way, and you're living that out, that as you're on your deathbed or you're in the zone of your latter years, you can say, I fought the good fight. I've kept the faith. And I've finished the race. God's not expecting you to do 20 things a day when you're near departure. God is not expecting you to take a body that's showing the ravages of time and aging to muster enough energy to run around and, and claim a bunch of things and do a bunch of things. You can say, I've fought the good fight. I've kept the faith. I've finished the race. Even though you haven't departed yet. That is only able to be said by believers who have put their faith and trust in God. He's in a prison situation here. He's not going to be unshackling himself. But he knows how he's lived his life for the Lord. That is a beautiful way to describe your life as you get older. Instead of being terrified of death, you can say, I fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I have kept the faith. But then he also says this, verse 8. As he speaks to the future, Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, notice the next words, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. Notice Paul's not saying at the end of his life, well, I hope I make it. I hope I was good enough. I hope I went to church enough and did enough good for my neighbors. He doesn't speak about how that somehow he hopes he earned his way to heaven. He understands he's saved by the grace of God and the gift of forgiveness through Jesus Christ. So he can speak with confidence, not because he looks back at a perfect life, but he looks at the perfect life of Jesus that was given in sacrifice for him, and he can say with all confidence, there is in store for me the crown of righteousness. I'm just waiting to receive it. And again, the song we sang this morning captures that idea. Not that we hope it's going to all turn out okay. That's not the Christian sentiment. But there is a crown of righteousness laid up for you and for all those who have longed for His appearing. That is, if you're looking forward to the return of Christ, that means you're getting rid of the deeds of darkness, you're putting on the day, and you're living right, you're confessing the sins you know about, and you're asking forgiveness for what you might have missed, you're living faithfully to God, not perfectly, but faithfully, you can say, even though you have not departed, there is a crown of righteousness laid up for me and for all those who have loved His appearing. That's reflection. You want the latter part of your life to be a time of beautiful reflection. You fought the fight, you finished the race, you've kept the faith. And there is a crown of righteousness for me and for everyone who've longed for his appearing. Your body might be struggling, 
Your mind may not be what it used to be. But you can say these words and you can echo them in your thoughts. And let that, let that be your disposition till the time of your departure. You fought the good fight. You've kept the faith. Use time to prepare for departure. And Jesus changed everything concerning our worst fears. And the number one fear, the fear of death. For believers, everything is reversed now. And there's not a wasted moment. There's no bucket list. There's just nothing but getting closer and closer to everything God has planned for you. And we're now an hour closer to our salvation than we were when we first arrived. That's a good thing. And that's why Paul said in another letter, Lord, come quickly. Lord, come quickly. He was ready to go. As we leave this morning, always be ready. Because one day the trumpet of the Lord will sound. And time will be no more. Think about how you're using time now. and What things you need to get out of your life that need to go. And what things you want to be involved in. You want those bags packed. Remember my grandma's illustration I gave when she's always ready to go to church? She'd always be ready when I go visit her. Hour early, she'd be sitting there in her dress and her purse on her lap and her big Bible, big King James, right there, hour before we'd even leave. She was always ready to go. And let that be the way we view our lives. And may God bless us as we're always ready to go, to depart.